0: Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating and I'm Harriet Frew aka the Eating Disorder Therapist and I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today I have a guest on the show and I am talking to Dr Kelly Kessler. Dr. Kelly is a licensed physical therapist, wellness coach, host of the podcast Rewiring Health, and founder of Optimal You Health and Wellness, LLC. Kelly teaches women who have a history of an eating disorder how to regulate their nervous system to achieve relief from chronic pain. Inspired by her own journey of recovering from an eating disorder and chronic back pain, Kelly has helped many women harness their profound ability to shift from survival mode to thriving. Kelly uses an integrative approach to healing, including a personalized audit, education, community support and actionable steps to create long lasting results. I'm really looking forward to speaking to Dr. Kelly today to hear all about her journey to becoming healed and then working with others. And I know many, many listeners to this podcast and many of my clients suffer with chronic pain alongside their eating disorder. So this is gonna be something that's really, really relevant for so many of you. So let's get to the conversation. This episode is brought to you by the National Center for Eating Disorders, the NCFED. Does eating rule your life? If you struggle with control of food, if you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, If you want to speak in confidence to someone who fully understands your relationship with food, contact Sam at the National Centre for Eating Disorders. You will find our details online or call 0845 838 2040. We know everything there is to know about eating distress and all our practitioners are properly trained first simple step is to have a no obligation assessment where you can speak freely and confidence to someone who understands and who will be able to tell you what is keeping you stuck. You will not need to do anything else if you simply want to think about what we have to say. If eating rules your life, take that first brave step now and get in touch. 0845 838 2040 during the week or look us up at www.eating-disorders.org.uk. Hi, Kelly, and thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So Kelly, please would you introduce yourself to the listeners? Sure. Yeah. So my
1: name is Kelly, and I work with women who have a history of eating disorders, and then have residual effects from it. So like chronic pain and musculoskeletal effects. So I primarily help women who have gone through eating disorder and now are still struggling with some of the repercussions of that. Okay.
0: So Kelly, could you just tell us a little bit about your own story? Because I know you have suffered yourself, have you, from eating disorders and also chronic back pain?
1: Yes. Yeah. So I'm inspired by my own journey. So I had an eating disorder several years ago for about six to seven years. And the nature of my eating disorder was that you know, I would restrict calories and then I would binge. And then I would basically purge the calories through excessive exercise. And I did that for a few years and then gradually things just got ramped up more and more. So I would be taking in more calories and then, you know, running and going to the gym three to four times a day to counter that, And it got to the point where I couldn't counter what I was taking in with exercise alone. So I started throwing up to then get rid of the calories and then that perpetuated. So my eating disorder kind of ramped up throughout the time that I experienced it, but it was definitely those binge and purge cycles that I went through. In addition to like using like laxatives and and other means of countering the calories. So. I went through that, that was, like I said, six to seven years of my life and it took a toll on me. And I remember, you know, one specific moment I had eaten like two bags of chocolate chips. I just sat on the, you know, I had purged by throwing up several times, just sat on the floor and I felt like my heart pounding out of my chest and I just Felt like I can't keep doing this. You know, I had been doing this for years and I'm like, this is really going to take me down if I continue like this. And I knew I had to make a change, but I didn't know where to begin. And gradually, it took years to kind of get out of that cycle, but gradually worked my way to a point where I had a more healthy relationship with food and exercise. And like I said, that was a long journey, several years to get to that point. And once I kind of got to that point, I then experienced chronic back pain. And that was a lot from years and years of just running and running and running and going to the gym and using my body excessively. And I also recognized it was a lot of the anxiety and shame that I experienced through my eating disorder that contributed to that as well. So once I had recovered mostly from the eating disorder then I had this second battle of going through chronic back pain and it was a long journey with that as well because by trade, I'm a physical therapist. I was going at it more of like a musculoskeletal point of view, but I didn't realize the repercussions of how much the eating disorder had affected my relationship with my body and how it had impacted the extent of which I experienced the back pain. So it took me many years to get to a point where I figured out a system that worked as far as working through the nervous system and learning to regulate myself to relax my muscles to move in a way that was healthy for me and just develop a better relationship between myself and my own body. And that has really just inspired my journey to help others who may have been in the same position because I felt very alone in that journey. And I know how much a support system is crucial for that time. So that's where I am today. And now I'm helping women who are where I was
0: years ago. Well, thanks for sharing your story, Kelly. And I think you're really not alone in the fact that you suffered with chronic pain, sort of, you know, <laughs> was it sort of during your eating disorder as well? Or was it after you sort of almost felt you'd recovered from that? And then that's when the pain emerged.
1: I had moments of back pain, but my eating disorder always trumped the extent of the back pain. So I would just work through the pain because having that eating disorder was more important than anything. the world at that point, it it had just consumed me. So I think I just masked the pain by using some of the eating disorder behaviors. But I think I recognized how much the pain affected me after I wasn't really being consumed as much by the eating disorder behaviors. But there definitely was an overlap.
0: And it's so helpful, I think for you just to sort of be talking so openly about the Mm -hmm impact of excessive exercise on the body? Because I think in our culture, so in our diet culture world, we can often think that no amount of exercise is too much. And, you know, of course, there are Mm -hmm. so many benefits to exercising. But I think your story is, you know, it's a great example of how when we go to those excessive limits, actually, it's incredibly harmful for the body. Oh, absolutely.
1: Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, it's, everything in moderation. But, you know, when anyone who's gone through an eating disorder, you know, their moderation is not necessarily an easy thing to understand. And your perseveration on restricting calories and trying to look a certain way, you will do whatever it takes. And exercising excessively was my means of doing that, especially in the beginning. Yeah.
0: So with sort of the chronic back injury pain, like I know, obviously chronic pain is such a Big topic covers such a vast range of different injuries or kind of impacts on the body. With your chronic back pain, was that very much linked to the excessive exercise or was it also linked to sort of past maybe trauma or kind of other, you know, maybe things that have been held in the body and then sort of manifested themselves through that physical pain?
1: Yeah, looking back, I would say it's definitely a combination between the two there definitely were mechanical reasons for why i had the back pain like i said i was you know exercising for hours on end just running pounding the pavement at the time of the back pain i went to a practitioner and they did an x-ray on my spine and between my l4 l5 that disc was about a quarter less than what it should have been so it was compressed for my age and i was about i think 25 26 at that time and you know they said oh there's nothing you can do it's just wear and tear that you've sustained. So I definitely think there was a mechanical mm-hmm. contributor as far as using my body excessively, but also looking back, I recognize the traumas. There were many micro traumas, I would say that had accumulated and contributed to a lot of like the extra tension that I was experiencing. I think, you know, for myself, I'm very much a perfectionist and, I felt nothing I did was good enough and that carried into how I used my eating disorder. Like no matter what I did, I just, it would never be good enough. And looking back at, you know, some things from childhood and earlier on, I can see how that played a role in how I felt throughout my eating disorder and that shame and that guilt I had constantly of binging and feeling like just completely disgusting about myself. And then having to exercise excessively and missing out on basically every social aspect of my life. All I did was just be consumed by what I was doing as far as the calories and the exercise. And, you know, I'm kind of watching my life pass by me and this is all I'm doing. It's like, you can see it for what it is now, but at the time it just completely consumed me. And I think that looking back for sure contributed to the back pain just now, you know, my knowledge of the nervous system and how your nervous system reacts to that constant stress, there's a direct line between your thoughts, your emotions, and how your nervous system is reacting, and then how the body then responds to it. So I absolutely believe both were contributors to the back pain I
0: experienced. So being a perfectionist, obviously, it's can be crippling, aren't it? And it's like a sort of survival <laughs> response. And you right. know, when you sort of reflect on yourself, Do you think you were born with that sort of tendency towards perfectionism or do you think it was a mixture of genetics and environment or how do you make sense of that?
1: Yeah, you know, I've done a lot of kind of looking inward and figuring out where all that came from. I know, you know, growing up, I can't say I had a bad childhood. I had a very good childhood. I had good supportive parents, but there was, you know, a level of, I think, just expectations of what you do. And I do look back and I'm like, wow, that was a little bit more structured, you know, very structured and kind of had to fit this mold of what those expectations were. So I definitely think that played a role in some of my thoughts. Even myself, I'm still trying to figure out where that perfectionist mindset came from. I'm just a very high achiever and I you know, expect the best of myself and I have high expectations for everyone around me. And I'm not exactly, I'm still trying to figure out where that came from, but it's been a common theme throughout my life. And it's something that I've now recognized and recognize how much it has held me back in actually being my genuine, authentic self in all those years.
0: And I think it's hard sometimes to know, isn't it, where these things come from because it is so complex and multifaceted. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think I'm the same, really. I'm sometimes still trying to make sense of my own story. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Absolutely. So many layers to it.
0: So many layers. And Kelly, for you, Why exercise do you think like, of course, that's a very common route for many people to go down with an eating disorder. But why do you think for you that obsessive exercise became the route that you really sort of channeled the eating disorder in?
1: Yeah, so I've always been an athlete throughout my years. I'm primarily was a field hockey player and that was always my means. Like my outlet was athletics. And for me, that again, the perfectionism and the athletics Went hand in hand, like if I was going to do something, I'm going to be the best at it, and that it kind of just came to a head when I got into like my college years because I'm like, I'm going to start my freshman year in field hockey, and that was my goal. And I'm like, I'm going to be a starter, I'm going to you know just work as hard as I can. And I ramped up the exercise and went to college my freshman year and was a starter on the team the collegiate team. And I made my goal and then now, okay, what can I do next? And I just kept ramping up because again, I never felt like I was good enough, even though I kept meeting my goals looking back now. But for me, exercise was just a, it was my outlet of my time, my kind of like soul searching time, but it just got completely out of control as far as how I used it. And like I said, my goal was to be a starter and I had, Exercise so excessively at that time that I couldn't keep up with the practices because I was running miles upon miles after practice, before practice, lifting before or after practice, that I end up having to quit the collegiate team because I was exercising so excessively that like I couldn't keep up with what the demands were. It just it kind of blew up in my face. So my first goal was to meet the team, I make the team and be a starter, and then. I get to that point where I actually make my goal. And then my eating disorder became so cumbersome that then I had to give up what my first goal was. That's where it just consumed my thoughts. Like nothing was more important than my eating disorder at that time. So for me, athletics was what I went to, but I think at the time I didn't define myself as having an eating disorder. I didn't even really recognize that that's what it was. I'm just figured I'm an athlete and I actually got praise from a lot of people, like, wow, you're so disciplined. You, you know, I can't believe you do all this. And you know, like there was a lot of praise around that. So I kind of fed off of that and then that perpetuated it. But people didn't see what was going on internally. They just saw that I was really dedicated.
0: Mm. It's so helpful for you to say these things out loud because I think you're so, you know, your experience is going to resonate with so many listeners because of, Mm -hmm. I think, as a society, we do praise, don't we? Exercise, we do praise that kind of dedication and working out all the time. And it's just being really aware, isn't it, that there could be a lot more going on under the surface. Like, it sounds like it was exhausting for you to have to keep up all of that. And actually, you were physically and mentally really suffering.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I felt like I was almost a fraud because on the outside, everyone's like, oh, wow, she's such a great athlete. She has it all together. She's dedicated. And then in the inside, there's just this inner turmoil of like, I have ulterior motives of why I'm doing all this. I can't even control why I'm doing all this. I'm just, there's such like an inner force of like negativity towards myself that this is the only thing that is giving me some sense of control. So yeah, there was definitely that maintaining the exterior persona of what people thought I was versus what I felt like I was at that time. And it was a complete inner battle that I think even perpetuated the eating disorder further.
0: Yeah. Well, it sounds just devastating, doesn't it? In terms of like, you were on this treadmill of striving to be good enough, but almost the more mm-hmm. you did, you know, the less authentic you felt, the more you were burnt out, but then people were praising you and you're in that place of real conflict, aren't you? In terms of like, in a way of having lost yourself, I guess, so much, but then people really validating that not knowingly, but yeah, leaving you in a really difficult place. And I guess, yeah, like perpetuating that I'm not good enough sort of cycle more and more.
1: A hundred percent. Yeah. I think you captured it perfectly. That's exactly what I was experiencing at that time. And it was a very lonely place to be when you're going Mm -hmm. through all that for sure.
0: So Kelly you've obviously had to do like a massive like overhaul of your life haven't you to like step out of that striving place be able to kind of slow down a lot (laughs) address the back pain so tell us a bit about that journey because I'm imagining for somebody like yourself who was like very striving very driven real perfectionist on the go all the time I mean it must have been quite challenging to start to look at things differently.
1: Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. And it wasn't a linear journey by any means. You know, there were definitely moments that I did better and then moments that I would go back into some of those behaviors. And like I said, it took years to get to a point where I felt like I was in a better place mentally with it all. But I took just small steps here and there. And I basically, since exercise was my biggest vice, just started with decreasing my exercise a little bit at a time and just kind of, celebrated those successes like even if it was 5 minutes i did less like that it was like okay and just allowing myself to be okay with that and not feel like i could do more that's kind of where i started like baby stepped my way out of being consumed by having to exercise 24/7 and then i would say the eating behaviors were a little bit more challenging to manage i definitely had moments where i would continue to binge and then i would almost have to like stop myself from making up for that with the exercise and the other purging behaviors. So it definitely was a challenge and it was not easy. And I just had to, again, just, I just think what drove me more is that at the time I recognized I had missed out on a lot of, you know, it is not in my twenties. I'm like, I'm missing out on my whole twenties. Like this is supposed to be like, you know, everyone says the best years of your life. And it wasn't. And I missed out on a lot of social situations. I missed out on a lot of things with my family. I just started looking at the loss that the eating disorder had caused me instead of the gains it was giving me. And for me, I think that became my motivator. Like, I don't want to live my life like this. And I think that then became the driving force. Like, I eventually want to have a family one day. I eventually want to feel like I've lived my life and I didn't just live it like this. And so having that as a shift in my perspective, allowed me to kind of crawl my way out of the eating disorder. And, you know, as far as the back pain, it was a little similar, but different journey. Like I said, I'm a physical therapist by trade. I have a certain, you know, you're trained in a certain way to manage certain things. And for me, when I couldn't even help myself with my own back pain, I'm like, man, what is going on? Like, I know the science behind it. I know what you should do. And it was like a wake up call. I kind of just changed my whole way about it and took less of a like orthopedic mechanical approach and started really learning and diving into the nervous system. And for me, it was like that aha moment. Like, this is my issue. Like, this is what's going on. I have all this pain because I still haven't fully healed from what I went through and going easier on myself and taking that approach really was like the game changer for me to get to a place where, now I'm not tethered by my back pain anymore.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like for you, really getting focused on what you are missing out on. And like you said, your 20s were passing you by in a way you'd been doing all this exercising, being consumed with food, but almost kind of that sort of laser focus of starting to realize, I don't want to live my life like this. You know, I want to be having these experiences, I don't want the eating disorder to be dominating everything. So did that really help you like in those moments when you had a lot of anxiety, I'm guessing from not being able to exercise as much, did you sort of manage to sort of get yourself really focused on that bigger picture or did you have other strategies as well that you implemented, like when you were almost perhaps climbing the walls from not being able to exercise? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I probably implemented quite a few. I journaled a lot at that time too. So I started writing down what I was experiencing and then I would kind of go back and read it And to be honest, when I would read it, it would make me sad. Like the thoughts that I had were just sad. I felt sad for myself. And I think that was almost like a motivator. I'm like, you know, this is not a way to live where you're just like feeling like this. So negatively towards yourself. So actually the journaling helped a lot. I ended up moving down to Texas. So I had a change of environment, which was kind of like a new beginning for me. And, you know, I just change i started my masters down there so i had a different thing to focus on down there the environment was different so that also was for me like empowering cuz i went down there by myself didn't know a single soul just took two suitcases and went down there and i'm like you know i'm going to do this so i think just trying to start fresh down there was also another thing that was like a catalyst for change for me so th- yeah there definitely were quite a few things that i did that i think helped at the time To get out of that place.
0: And how did you start to sort of slow down and sort of be able to self soothe more and get out of that sort of fight flight striving place that would have been so familiar and I guess so comfortable for so long? I mean, obviously, you know, you already talked about kind of journaling and your different focus and the change. But what were some of the kind of practical day to day things that you started to implement to really help yourself soothe your nervous system?
1: I've thought back about it because I feel like I'm in such a different place. I have to almost like think back of like, what did I do at that time to get out of it? And I think one thing I did is I lived in Ithaca, New York at that time too. And there's, was Tiganic falls there, which is for me is just like a peaceful place. Every time I felt like I was just not in a good space, I would just go there and walk around and kind of, it just was like peaceful and helped me kind of like refocus So I definitely attribute to that too, just having an outlet, like someplace that brought me peace. I was very secretive with my eating disorder. Like my family knew nothing. My closest friends knew nothing. Like nobody really knew anything about what was going on, but I did confide in one of my friends and having her as an outlet to just tell her how I'm feeling, what I'm going through. She was a great source of support too, because she just listened. And she, you know, didn't pass judgment. She didn't try to fix me. And for me, that was also a really huge source of support that time because I knew I had her in my corner. So that was also something that really helped a lot to just get out of those dark places when they kind of came around again.
0: Yeah, so I think there's two things there that are so helpful Firstly, like you're saying, getting out in nature, being somewhere peaceful, somewhere that was calming. Sounds like it kind of got you out of your head and brought Mm -hmm. you back into a more contented space. Yeah. And secondly, the friendship things. I think so often when we're in an eating disorder, we're so isolated, aren't we? And we don't speak to others. There's a lot of shame, a lot of secrecy. There's this Mm -hmm. big gap between what we show the world, what's going on inside and actually talking to someone openly. And it sounds like this friend was really Good at listening, non and that was so helpful as part of your healing. Oh, absolutely.
1: Yeah. And I've thanked her, you know, many times for that because it really was the first time I felt like I talked about it. And I find that talking about it, there's so much healing when you can be just open and authentic about what you're going through. And that's why I feel like, you know, I say even t- every time I discuss kind of what I've gone through, there's like a therapeutic part to that because you're not hiding who you are anymore. Like, I feel like I had to hide that part of myself for so long. And that is just, that just hinders healing. And for me, every time I can openly talk about this and if it can help people that even is more therapeutic, but anytime you can like, just be your authentic self and be like, this is something I went through. This is you know what I'm going through. I think it really just has such a therapeutic quality where you're saying it out loud and you're not judging yourself for it. Like I felt guilty for how I lived like that for years. And now I'm just like, that's part of my story. And it's just that, you know, I didn't necessarily choose that. It just was what I went through. And now I celebrate the strengths I gained from that. That has really helped with the healing too. So I think just starting out, if you can just be less judgmental about yourself and just say, this is part of me, and this is actually something that's going to give me strength and allow me to see the world differently and, and with more clarity. It's actually tremendous when you come out on the other side.
0: Mm, yeah, no, Here, here. Thank you so much for sharing that. Sure. <laughs> so, Kelly, can you tell us a little bit as well about how you work with people today, you know, in the sort of therapy work you do? Would you describe it as therapy?
1: Yeah. I'm more of a coaching now. I was doing one-on-one like in-person physical therapy, but more from a coaching standpoint now, because I found a lot of value in having a group setting and support system there. But what I do is I pretty much start with like a personalized audit and recognizing, you know, environmental factors, personal factors, sleep habits, you know, current exercise habits, any kind of personal audit of like your whole self. So everything that may be contributing to why there is some dysregulation in the system and kind of start with that. So there's awareness of what's going on because sometimes we go through our daily life and all the stressors, we don't even realize how it's impacting us. So I usually start with just improving awareness. And then there's a lot of education with what I do and just educating about the nervous system, how powerful it is for healing. I think it's one of those untapped resources that we don't realize that it has so much potential for healing And unless we have the right tools, it's not going to work for us in the way we want it to. So I do a big educational piece on that. And then I integrate all different ways on which the nervous system can be regulated. So I do a lot of breath work, movement with breath work, some tapping exercises, do a lot with like the optic nerve and visual system, the vagus nerve. So I use a lot of different tools to help regulate the nervous system and get people, get them from like a wired wound up state of stress to a point where they can now manage some of those stressors in a more healthy way. So it's more about like teaching the nervous system how to respond appropriately rather than just ramp up at the first bit of stress in your life. So it just teaches the nervous system how to basically respond appropriately, which it doesn't necessarily do when you go through an eating disorder and chronic stressors like that.
0: And would you almost describe like eating disorder behaviors as maladaptive ways to try and self-soothe? You know, I guess no one sets out to choose those ways of soothing, mm-hmm. do they? But if we're in survival mode and we haven't got other ways of soothing, you know, could you almost describe those disordered eating behaviors like overexercise or restriction or binging as ways of almost like trying to access the self-soothe in a maladaptive way?
1: 100%. Yeah. Eating disorder behaviors. And like now I see it much more clearly than when I was going through it, but they really are a short term soothing behavior for a long term problem. So long term, it only makes things worse. But in the short term, it does give you that like dopamine response, which is that like reward system that we keep searching for. So our brains respond to it in a way that we, are recognizing as something that is comforting and soothing, but in the long-term, our brains actually rewire to put us in more unhealthy space. So a lot of times the short-term benefits of it, when we're going through it, tend to outweigh the long-term effects of what's actually going on. So learning better mechanisms to get that reward system and that comfort is so crucial in making one feel safe in other ways, is absolutely crucial for long-term healing.
0: Mm. Well, thanks so much for sharing that, Kelly. And it sounds like the work that you do, that you're really sort of tackling this kind of problem in such a holistic way with so many different sort of tools and skills and really empowering people to kind of step into that self-soothing place and, you know, really sort of slowing down the body, I guess, and getting to that place of more calmness and contentment when they've been in fight flight or striving and so disconnected from their bodies. Mm -hmm. Oh,
1: absolutely. Yeah. And and that's really like, I'm a big proponent of using what we have already. You know, we have so many tools within us Mm -hmm. and I like to use the analogy of almost like the wizard of Oz and Dorothy, like Dorothy had her ruby Mm -hmm. slippers that entire time, but she didn't know that she could just tap them and go home. And it's like, until she realized that she had the tools all the time to get back to a place of comfort you know, that's only when she was able to like start getting there. So it's like, we all have that available to us. We all have our Ruby slippers, but if we don't know how to use them and get ourselves to a place of comfort, they're useless to us.
0: Mm. Oh, I love that. I'm going to remember that one. Dorothy and her Mm -hmm. Ruby slippers. It's very empowering, isn't it? I think once you can, yeah. yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. Absolutely.
0: So Kelly, where can people find you if they want to like find out more about the work you do or message you or get in touch?
1: Sure. Yeah. So I'm on Instagram at Dr. Kelly Kessler, all one word, and I'm under the same handle on TikTok. I have a website, it's optimalyouhealthandwellness.com. So those are, and I also, I have a YouTube channel, but that's, you can kind of find that through my social media links, but, and then I also host a podcast called Rewiring Health. So I put out episodes
0: there as well. Okay. Well, great, Kelly. It sounds like, yeah, a wide range of resources and ways for people to connect with you. That's brilliant. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. So Kelly, I just want to really thank you for coming on the podcast today. You know, I really appreciate you sharing your story so openly. I think it's just, you know, your story is going to resonate with so many people, be so valuable to so many of the listeners. But also just to hear, you know, the hope and inspiration of the journey that you've been on of almost, you know, turning your life around. And I know it hasn't been easy and in those baby steps, but, you know, to get to a very different place today where you're experiencing kind of, you know, be connected with your body and, you know, having sort of healed and being in a good place with your mental well-being. So it's really inspiring to hear your story. Thank you.
1: Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. And like I said, every time I can share it, again, gives me a sense of healing as well. And for anyone who's in a rough place right now, there is hope to always turn it around. So if I can be some kind of source of hope for someone, that means the world to me.
0: Okay, lovely. Thank you, Kelly. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation just as much as I did. Do go and check out all of Dr. Kelly's info in the show notes. If you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at the Eating Disorder Therapist underscore. And for further support with your relationship with food, do go to the eatingdisordertherapist.co.uk. If you enjoy this podcast, I'd be so grateful if you'd follow rate and review, as it helps it reach so many more listeners. And I think we're currently at around number sixty-three in the Apple Mental Health charts. So thank you for all of your support. Thank you so much for listening today, and I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon.